0: It's like at 11.36 or whatever. How's everybody? Very good. Yeah. Hey, I want to uh, first of all say, welcome back. We're starting to see the uh, Lindsey Wilson and CU students trickle in, athletes and um, RAs and uh, security people, you know, the ones that write tickets for your cars on campus. But we're glad you're back, and um, uh, we're looking forward to seeing even uh, more of the uh, college folk uh, in the weeks ahead. And uh, listen, I want to really express my appreciation for the uh, worship team, not only because they really rock and they're really good, but uh, one of the reasons that I'm speaking today is Adam took the worship team down to Nashville last night uh, to play at the Anchor Fellowship Church, which is a very unique church, uh, almost exactly in the heart of downtown Nashville Uh, We don't have to worry about homeless people trying to set our building on fire, but they do down there. Um, And those were people that they had fed and given clothes to, and then to say thank you, they tried to set the building on fire. Uh, So this is a church that reaches out to an awful lot of really good people, and the Anchor is part of a larger organization, so they had people from Baltimore and from all over Tennessee and from Illinois and other places as well, really exotic locations. And uh, they asked our worship band to come down, and to play for them. And what that meant for our worship band was that they packed up their gear at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, went down to Nashville, played the worship, stayed for the meeting, helped with the ministry, then packed their gear up and got back here at 2.30 or 3 in the morning. Uh, So uh, thanks to the worship team for representing the Lord Jesus and the vineyard really well. And if the person next to you falls asleep, uh, it may be because they're a worship member or it may be because I'm not doing a very good job. I don't know which. but um, So uh, Adam asked me to fill in, and I'm really glad he asked me to fill in because our subject over, uh, well, since the beginning of the year, has been loving God's word. And uh, this is something that I really wanted a chance to uh, be able to, uh, sp- to speak on. I did all that. Wait, I'm talking to my cell phone. Link to Keynote. I haven't linked to Keynote. Guess what, Raymond? You get to run it, all right? It's new phones, first time I've used it, and I'm not the most technologically uh, adept person. So I've really wanted to have a chance uh, to be able to speak on uh, this topic, Loving God's Word, and we've heard from a lot of people. We've heard from Justin Harden, we've heard from Andrea Giordano, we've heard from uh, Cliff Ingalls, we've heard from Adam Russell, and uh, all of those messages are available for you on the audio archive, uh, VineyardCampbellsville.org, and there is edifying stuff in every single one of those messages. So if you've got a commute, if you drive thirty or forty minutes going to work, uh, it, it's a perfect companion for you, and I really recommend those. And um, I, I've, I've got a real task in front of me today because as I prayed about this over the last week or so, uh, I really have three separate messages, and since I only you know get the pulpit about once every you know ten or twelve weeks, I feel compelled to share all three with you. And uh, so if you'll pray for me, I know you're going to start right now to be able to get through all of this. But I really do want to cover three areas. I want to cover my personal history, why I love the Word of God. I want to share the person of Jesus Christ because I think that's crucial to our understanding. The third part of what I want to say, which is Jesus's own history in the scriptures. And I don't know what the first part, my own personal history with the Word of God, has to do with it, other than that I prayed about it, and I think I'm supposed to share it. So, uh, uh, so I'm going to do that. And speaking of prayer, why don't we do that? I'll pray for uh, clarity. You pray for brevity. Is that all right? All right. Lord Jesus, would you make me clear? Now you guys pray, Lord, make him brief. There you go. And... Um, uh, seriously, Lord, we invite you just as you breathe on the worship to breathe on the proclamation of your Word. Help me to speak as I ought. I ask that gifts of faith would be released in the room right now, and I ask Lord for your presence to remain amen amen okay well i 'm going to start with um, with my personal history and go ahead and flip it just one. Uh, uh, slide Raymond, this is the shape of my early life. Um, that's a drawing that my mother did of me when uh, when I was 14. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not true. All right, let's go on to the next slide. I just put that up there. Uh, this is actually what I looked like when I was a kid, and uh, so the nerd factor was very very high. Uh, notice the crocheted shirt with the flower on it. That's pretty much that's pretty much me, and I still have the same style sense. Now. Here's the truth about me, the ugly truth, uh, besides looking like that. Uh, I, um, I grew up in a family that wanted to respond to the grace of God but really didn't know how. My mom was uh, born and reared Catholic and a practicing Catholic, and she married an agnostic Lutheran, so you can imagine what kind of uh, uh, marriage and family that I uh, grew up in. But from kindergarten to second grade, I went to both Catholic schools as well as a Catholic church. Now, I'm old enough that when I was going to Catholic churches that the mass was still in Latin. So hence, no, I didn't speak Latin. But uh, th- those years, kindergarten through second grade, were really my only e- exposure to any kind of spiritual life, uh, at least as a, as a young kid. And the mass was in Latin. Now, you need, to, you need to try to imagine that for a minute. You know, you're what, four, five, six years old? You go to church, and uh, and in a Catholic church, one of the things they really do right is welcome the arts. You you know, Protestant churches have an empty cross, which emphasizes the resurrection. Catholic churches have a crucifix, which shows Jesus on the cross, and that emphasizes his suffering on our behalf. And they have the stations of the cross, which show, you know, the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering that Jesus went through. And there's, you know, there's, there's candles, there's Bells. There's, you know, iconography. There's all these things, and it makes a deep impression on you when you're four or five or six years old. Except that the mass was in Latin. So, like for example, when the priest would say "Kyrie eleison," "Christe eleison," "Kyrie eleison," the entire congregation would move from a seated position to a kneeling position, and that made a deep impression on me. I had no clue what he was saying. All I knew is that at some point during the Mass, everybody literally fell on their knees. And then we would respond, respond, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. And, you know, I've looked up those words. I'm familiar with these words now. But as a kid, it was, it was just the liturgy. It was just the order of things that was going on. And there's another point in the Catholic Mass. The, the center point of Catholic worship is not the preaching of the word. It is the, the celebration of the blessed sacrament, that moment when the, the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. And uh, the, the priest, every time, holds up this, this, this host, this, this wafer-like piece of bread. It doesn't taste or look much like bread, but it's bread. And, and he prays a prayer over it, and when he prays a prayer... They're inviting the presence of God to inhabit the elements of communion and the altar boy over to the side reaches down and he jingles a couple of bells. At least he did when I was in kindergarten, first, second grade. Haven't been to a Catholic mass in a while. And again, as a young child, all I knew was that something was being displayed and something was happening because they rang a bell and it was was a really mystical moment. And for me... These are things that became a deep impression on me. Uh, My family moved around quite a bit. I honestly don't have many memories before third grade. These are some of the very few memories that I do have before third grade, and they were from the Catholic Mass. Uh, And so there's bells, there's smells, there's mysticism, there's sounds, there's awe, there's wonder. But was there understanding? And the answer is no. You see, I was left to imagine who Jesus was, I was left to imagine who God the Father was. I was left to imagine who the Holy Spirit was. And so as a result, I had this this deep attraction to the Lord Jesus. But I had about the same degree of understanding as Ricky Bobby did when he tells, you know, when he says grace around the table. You guys, you know, Talladega Nights. And, you know, he starts out with, Dear Lord, baby Jesus. And then his wife interrupts him in the grace and says, you know, you don't always have to pray to the baby Jesus. You know, he grew up and he was a man. And Ricky Bobby says what? He says, I always imagine him as an eight-pound, eight-ounce baby. And since I earn the money in this family, I'm going to pray to the baby Jesus. And, you know, then his partner chimes in and says, I always imagine Jesus in a T-shirt that looks like a tuxedo. And he says, so that means that he's formal, but he likes to party too, right? And then, you know, one of the children's, you know, chimes in and says, I imagine Jesus as a ninja that can do, you know, flying scissor kicks. And I could have fit in right around that table. Uh, other than, in fact, my dad didn't drive NASCAR and I, my mom wasn't a smoking hot trophy wife. But I could have fit. I mean, it's all in the... you Go to YouTube. It's all in the scene, okay? Um, um, I could have fit around that table because, you see, apart from the revelation of the Scripture... With all of the mysticism, with all of the liturgy, we are still left, we are still left with our own imaginations as to who is God the Father, who is God the Son, who is God the Holy Spirit, and you see, it's the scripture that begins to reveal those things, and so I'm still on my personal story, and after second grade, you know, my my family didn't have really any faith expression. We moved to Chicago, and I was just, you know, your normal, happy, pagan kind of kid, And um, one day, next slide, please, Raymond. One day, when I was a freshman in high school, somebody gave me a copy of Good News for Modern Man. And that is exactly what the cover looked like. And it was a paperback. And it was a paperback book. Now, you know, if you're a boomer, you might even remember this book, right? This was my first introduction to the scriptures. And I was 13 years old. Now, we live in the Southeast. We live in the land where, yeah, right, everybody's a Christian, yeah? I mean, everybody's been to VBSs. You know, there are parents that send their kids to VBS all summer long. Doesn't matter what church it is, just from one to another, right? And so we grow up in a culture where the where the Bible is uh, ubiquitous. But I grew up in a culture where the Bible just didn't exist. And somebody gave me this paperback book that was the New Testament, not in the King James English or, or, or in the Douay edition, you know, that the Catholics used. It was in just plain language. And it was a radically subversive book as I began to read it. Now, you've got to imagine, by this time my parents are divorced. Uh, I'm a typical teenage kid who wants to keep almost all of his life secret from his parents. So if you've got little toddlers, just get ready for it. Um, And so I brought the book home and I'm not exaggerating. I literally hid it underneath the mattress in my bedroom And after everybody had gone to bed, I would take this book out and I would read it because I had never read anything like this and I didn't want anybody else to know I had read anything like this. And so you don't have to go very far since it starts with Matthew, who knew? It starts with Matthew. And by the time you get to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, the person who says you good for nothing and curses his brother is in danger of the fires of hell. Well, I had an older brother. I had called him way worse than you good for nothing. I had certainly cursed him. And there I am alone in my bedroom and I'm reading, oh my God, I'm in danger of the fires of hell. I mean, you're just in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You're just at the beginning of the book. This was, this was a subversive book that rocked my world. And, and it developed in me even before I had made that evangelical commitment, that wonderful trade of my inadequacy for his perfection, of my sin, you know, for his perfect blood. Before I had had that born-again experience, there was already a hunger in the word that began to draw me because it was so fresh and it was so new. And so one year later and two Bible studies after someone had given me this radically subversive book, I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus. Yay, I'm really glad I did. Best decision I've ever made. And this actually was my Bible all through high school. Didn't even know there was an Old Testament. I mean, you know, they'd quote it, you know, and I'd go, yeah, well, what's that? But I read that paperback till, until the point that that paperback was just falling apart. And it was my introduction to the Word of God. And it's one of the reasons that I love the Word of God is that it came to me not as a part of my everyday culture, but actually as something that came literally from out of the blue and into my life. And so my early life uh, was characterized by mysticism. The middle part of my my youth was characterized by paganism. And then by the time I hit high school, uh, the the wonder of the Word of God was amazing. By the time I got to Illinois State uh, in 1931... they, they had built a dorm. This was not the best idea, but it's uh, no offense, typical of academics. They had built a dorm that was 27 stories tall that held 2,200 students, and it had four elevators, right? So I started to spend an incredible amount of my uh, undergraduate days waiting for elevators. And thank goodness that three weeks into uh, uh, that, uh, that first fall that I was at uh, Watterson Towers, uh, I went to a retreat where somebody shared with me a simple and easy way to memorize scripture. And, and it, was, uh, it was what Jack Deere talked about. It was the navigator's topical memory system. I was a little bit of a rebel. I didn't want to memorize scriptures that other people uh, recommended. So I cut up my own, my own blank cards and I wrote down whatever was interesting to me out of the scriptures. But then, you know, spending this amount of time waiting for elevators, that's the only time I would reach into my pocket, I would pull out the topical memory system, and I would review Bible verses. And And in three and a half years of living in Walterson Towers, uh, I memorized hundreds of verses. And uh, it was the only time in my Christian walk where I had a regular program of Bible memory, and those verses still characterize my walk today. Still. So this was the shape of my early life. It's why I love the Word of God. And I just want you to understand that between the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, the activity of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of the Word of God, it's changed my life. It hasn't changed my life in some get-along-and-be-a-perfectly-good-neighbor-or-community-citizen you know, a perfectly good neighbor or community citizen way. It's changed my life radically, and it, to this day, continues to challenge me. So, all right, that's the first, uh, that's the first part of, um, uh, of our message. We can go ahead and change the slide, Brandon. Um The second part of my message, which has nothing at all to do with the first part, is about the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I want to spend a few minutes just exploring how did he become the man that he was? Now, Adam, last Sunday, in talking about loving the word of God... He spoke out of Luke chapter three, where the devil tempts Jesus. Or four, uh, where the the Luke, uh, the Luke the devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness. And how is it that uh, Jesus responded to the temptations there in the wilderness? Yes, three times Jesus says, "It's written." It's written. It's written. And it's a good message. Go get it on the audio archive. And at one point, you know, Jesus even said, well, what, you know, how did Jesus know those scriptures? Did he have like a magic Bible gun, you know, or did he like just, you know, have some sort of matrix download that allowed him to just, you know, know these scriptures? And the answer is no. He was a 30-year-old man launching on his ministry, and he was drawing on the resources of his personal devotion and his personal study. Can I say that again? He was a 30-year-old man beginning to launch in his ministry, and he was drawing on the resources of his personal devotion and his personal study. And here's where I want to labor this a little while, and that is we think, well, yeah, sure, it's Jesus. So, of course, he can quote Scripture. But how did he become the man that he was? And uh, this, this is, heck, it's not just a message. It's a whole semester. No, it's a Ph.D. dissertation. We need to talk for just a minute about the humanity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. So we just recovered from the Christmas season, and the, the credit card bills haven't quite come yet. It's a good time to still think about Christmas. Like, for example, the Magi travel a long way to bring him, you know, gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh, right? And in they, in they come, and they see the baby Jesus, and they give him these gifts, and the baby Jesus responds with, gentlemen, good to see you. You must be exhausted from your journey. Please, sit down. Mother, would you get them a cup of tea? Is that how Jesus received those gifts? He was a baby. And whether it was, if, whether you like to imagine it at the nativity location or at a rented house or whether they had gone back to Nazareth, wherever it may have been, you know, you're, you're one month old, you're six month old, you're 12 month old you know, would be clueless when you know, my kids who are exceptional and above average, every single one of them, they had no idea what was going on on their first birthday, right? All they knew is that there was cake in front of them, and that was good, and that was all. Jesus started out life the way you and I start out life. Conception, gestation, through the birth canal, and the world rushed upon him And what he did was, although he was 100% God, is he took all of the privileges of being God, omnipotence and omniscience and, and, you know, omni-whatever, and he put them into a trust, and he lived life the way you and I lived life. And this is really, really important. You see, he didn't ace all of his tests. No, he learned to speak. He learned to read. He learned to write. And that means that he learned the scriptures not so differently than you or I would have learned the scriptures or do learn the scriptures, not so differently at all. Now, there are a few differences of uh, both technology and era and culture, all right? You know, we've got a lot of distractions. Uh, we, are, uh, we are this ADD culture that has multimedia constantly bombarding us. And, you know, the capacity of people in the ancient world, whether they were listening to Homer or whether they were listening to Genesis, uh, no matter what, they had a capacity to attend and to hear and to remember that, that is a capacity that we might marvel at. But that's okay. He still appropriated the scripture the same way that you or I would appropriate the scripture. And the only difference between Jesus coming to the scripture and you and I coming to the scripture is that he came to the scripture without sin. The testimony of the Bible is that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. And he didn't do that because he was the boss's son. He was doing that as a model of what's possible for us. But it is significant that in learning the scripture and in growing up in a world that was drunk out of their minds on sin, he's the only sober person at the party. Now, just take a minute and digest that for for just a second. Whether it's at age eight or age 12 or age 16, at whatever age it was, Jesus is appropriating the scripture. He's listening. He's attending. He's thinking about the message of the Old Testament. And he's looking around in a world that is just drunk out of their minds on sin. And the only explanation I have is that, you know, he's like the only sober guy at the party where everybody else is wasted. Indeed, he probably heard scripture differently than we might have heard scripture. But having said that, He still came to it. And actually, that probably created in Jesus some real cognitive dissonance to have heard the scripture read and to see even the way devout people were living their lives. And it created so much cognitive dissonance that it began to raise questions in Jesus's mind. And so uh, we're going to look at the word today. If you brought a Bible, you can open, uh, I hope you did, you can open to Luke chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, Raymond's going to flip the uh, slide. And we have two slides. I'm going to read them both, uh, first slide and the second slide, just all at once. This is the only look we get at Jesus's childhood. And in Luke chapter 2, starting long around verse 41, it says that, They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Stop right there. Let's go back. My bad. And I told you we we're going to do both, but I lied. Okay. Twelve-year-old Jesus. Now, um, Kelly uh, Durham—is he here or is he in the children's? Kelly, uh, I was talking to Kelly before church today. How old's Kelly? He's twelve. Oh, this awesome. Uh, he just got a new guitar at Christmas time. And so I asked him how it was going. He said he really, really liked it. And I said, well, listen, I know you're really good at guitar. I said, here's what I think you should do. It's is just my opinion, Kelly. About the second song during the worship set, because he said he'd brought his guitar today. About the second song in the worship set, you ought to grab your guitar and just jump up on stage and start jamming with the team. I said, because you're really good. I mean, you're at least as good as Sam Crabtree. And, you know, <laughs> love you, Sam. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a slam on Sam. That's how good Kelly is, okay? And, and he looks at me, and I'm like, you know, I'm one of the pastors here. And, you know, in his eyes, you could see him do the math a little bit. He goes, probably not going to do that. And I said, no, no, don't tell your dad. Don't tell your mom. Don't tell Pastor Adam. Just let it rip. I said, it will let everybody know how much you want to be on the worship team. And he responded and he said, and then they won't let me on the worship team if I do that. <laughs> now, I'm sure Kelly is an exceptional child, but what he's demonstrating at age 12 is a capacity to make moral judgments and also practical, wise judgments. Jesus, age 12, is so driven by the questions look at the last sentence is so driven by the questions in his mind that he would ditch his family and go completely dark and not not tell anybody no text no facebook here at the temple rocking them with questions none of that But I'm telling you that at that age, with that intellectual capacity and with his experience with the scriptures, it drove him to try to enter into dialogue. Does that make sense? Even though he knew he'd be in hot water, yet without sin. Think about that. He was willing to bust through whatever the cultural norms were because of the passion that was in him so deeply. That's amazing. But he was really really hungry. And notice if you would, again, this last sentence, he's not teaching them. Uh, Sometimes I'll ask this question when I'm talking with people and say, what was Jesus doing in the temple? People go, oh, he was teaching. I go, no. The Lord of glory, the savior of the world was at the temple to listen and to ask questions, to listen and to ask questions. Now let's go to the next slide. Okay. And everyone who heard him, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and they said, boy, are you in hot water? Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? They didn't understand. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And last sentence again, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I know I just emphasized that he was listening and asking questions. And then the very next sentence says, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. He wasn't playing stump the band. He wasn't saying, okay, scribes, riddle me this. And then he was trying to get after them. If you've, if you've raised kids, even at the age of two or three or four or five or eight or ten, have, have your children ever asked you a question that revealed how much was going on behind the scenes? Do you know what I'm talking about? And, you know, they ask the question, and you're thinking, OMG, you know, he or she is way further along on whatever this issue is. Please, not sex. You know, uh, they're way further along on these issues than I ever imagined, right? That's what I think they were amazed at. And I think that as they began to dialogue with, you know, he would ask the question, and, you know, a, a Jewish method with a rabbi is to enter into dialogue. They entered into dialogue, and so he would ask the questions, they'd enter into dialogue. Again, I don't think that the 12 year old Jesus got a magical download of the entire Old Testament, and he was there to tell them how it was. I think that he was driven. He was driven. He was driven. Did I say he was driven? He was driven. And he was driven by hunger for what he had read in the scriptures, comparing it to his own experiences. That's what I imagine. Okay? And so, he's listening, and he's asking questions, and then this last verse here at the bottom of the page, Luke 2.52, says that he wasn't finished. It says that he continued to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, And man, I can't even begin to address growing in favor with God. It's just beyond my own capacity. But I I really think it's important for us to realize that at age 12, he was driven by his experiences, but he wasn't finished growing. He wasn't finished asking. He wasn't finished learning. He wasn't finished. And he continued to grow. This is the only picture we get of Jesus between the birth narratives and when he launches his ministry and he's baptized, notice that the only picture that we get of Jesus in his childhood has to do with his hunger for the scriptures. If you you only come away with one thing today, until I say it again, if you only come away with one thing today, it was the only picture we get of the young Jesus is that he's driven by his passion for the scriptures. Okay? That's Luke 2. In just a minute, we're going to just umbrella or arc or rainbow whatever you want across to uh, Luke 24 but before that next slide please Raymond before that since we're in Luke's gospel let's just stay here because what we get in Luke's gospel is one example after another of Jesus's respect and use of the scriptures now this is an amazing thing to me for this reason in Luke's gospel uh, I think even Adam has pointed this out more than once Luke's gospel is characterized by the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Luke's gospel, more than any other, highlights the activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Jesus' family members, in the life of Jesus, in the lives of the disciples. And it's one of the points that if you're, you know, taking an intro survey type course to the New Testament, this is one of the things that you point out about Luke is far more than any other gospel is this activity of the Holy Spirit. Yet, in this gospel... These are just some examples, okay? Temptation in the desert, which we've already referred to. Jesus preaching at the synagogue in in Nazareth. That's also Luke 4. Uh, Luke 5, Jesus is going to start, and he he, he starts, uh, he's in a conversation, and he starts the conversation with, well, haven't you ever read what David did? And it's a really obscure passage about David when he's on the lamb eating the uh, showbread in the temple. I mean, it's a pretty esoteric type of uh, uh, reference. Now, the truth is, just with those three, Here's the deal. Every single chapter of Luke's Gospel will take you back to the Scriptures and Jesus' use of the Scriptures. I was a fool when I started the week. I was reading Luke's Gospel and I had a little three-by-three three, uh, post-it note and I thought, well, I'll just write down, you know, all the, not just the individual references, but the books to which Jesus is referring either by quoting them or by implication and I filled up the three by three card before I got to like, you know, Luke 11. Every single chapter in a gospel that emphasizes the, the activity of the Holy Spirit, the scripture is, is woven into the fabric. Every single one. And so what you get that in uh, Luke chapter uh, 10, I think it is, 10 or nine. No, sorry, number eight is, uh, he says, well, this is the purpose of parables. And let's take a quick stop if we can at uh, Luke chapter 10 where uh, he talks about the Good Samaritan. It's just a brief stop here. Luke chapter 10 in verse 25. Raymond, we do not have these slides, so you stay right where you are, we're good. Luke chapter 10, um, verse 25. It says, on one occasion... An expert in the law, and by law it, it doesn't mean our modern conception of an attorney. Uh, this is the the word law would actually be like instruction for living. It it means the Torah. It means the first five books of the Bible. But it means more than just following the rules. It means the path of life. And this expert in the law says, "Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus says, "Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Again." How, Jesus engages this man on the basis of the scripture and the guy answers well love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as, as, as yourself you have answered correctly Jesus replied do this and you will live Jesus is referring to uh, passages uh, out of both Leviticus and Deuteronomy or I mean sorry the, the teacher of the law is and Jesus says hey you got it right ding 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 do this and you will live. But then look, verse 29. But he, the lawyer, or the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And <clears throat> who is my neighbor? Now, this is a big mistake because he's not dealing with 12 year old Jesus, he's dealing with 30 30- or 31 year old Jesus. And he's wanting to justify himself in front of the Lord of glory. Yikes. I mean, it's nothing I haven't done, but it's a bad idea. So mm, who then is my neighbor? And Jesus launches in on this very famous story that we know, the Good Samaritan, right? Man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know the story. I'm not going to take the time to read it since I'm preaching three messages today. Let me just ask you, though. Do you think Jesus made up the story of the Good Samaritan on the spot, on the fly? Because I don't. I'm just going to give you my opinion here. I think that the story Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan is revealing to us the reflection, the meditation, and the imagination of Jesus as he had encountered the law, the Torah. I think that he's, he's actually referring... Uh, to uh, Leviticus chapter 19, where it says you should love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, nobody reads Leviticus anymore. It's all about laws and rules and regulations. In fact, just take Leviticus, everybody, open up your Bibles, take Leviticus and rip it out because we're under grace, not law. Come on, throw them in the air. No takers. See, the Old Testament is the Bible Jesus read. The Old Testament, if you can receive this, is where Jesus got his picture of God the Father. The Old Testament revealed to Jesus the grace and mercy of God. And I think that when this lawyer wanting to justify himself uh, with the kind of questions of, well, how many steps are you allowed to walk before you're working on the Sabbath? What does it actually mean to kindle a fire on the Sabbath? You know, uh, even to today, you know, the Orthodox Jews won't use an elevator because the electric elevator might make a spark and that kindles the fire on the Sabbath. You know, they're breaking the law down into these arcane, remarkably precise distinctions. And I think that Jesus probably said this. You know, it's interesting that you'd ask me about who is my neighbor because I've thought about that. That just didn't make it into the scriptures. But I think that's where he was coming from. I imagine, just like Ricky Bobby, I imagine... Grown-up Jesus, reading Leviticus 19, where it says you should love your neighbor as yourself, and by the, and that's in the middle of the chapter. By the time you get to the end of chapter 19, it talks about having love and regard for the alien and the stranger among you. It's all in the same chapter. And I think Jesus began to meditate and reflect on the Scripture And using a sanctified imagination, which is available to me or you just as well, he began to come up with life situations. So I don't think that Jesus answered this guy on the fly. I think that this incredible gift that has been given to Western civilization for the last two millennia, this incredible gift, was the result of Jesus meditating on the Scriptures. Now, did that mean that he added to the Scripture? I don't think so. I mean, you know, in a sense he did because it made it into Luke's, you know, version of the gospel. But I think that we can meditate and apply our imagination to the scripture and we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should think through what God has for us. That's what I think. So uh, let's just keep going on this little list here real quick because I have no idea what time it is on the Bears play at 1 Um, Oh, no sign's going to be given except the sign of Jonah. Well, everybody knows Jonah is just a children's story, right? Except the Lord of Glory read a, a children's story. But you just like that, okay. The Lord of Glory read a children's story. And you know what? I don't think Jesus got into the trap of, do you think it's really possible for a giant sea creature to swallow a man and he would survive for three days? And then somebody else goes, well, it happened to one whaling fisherman in the 19th century. You can read about it in Ripley's Believe It or Not. And then everybody begins to argue over whether or not this happened. Jesus read it and said, there's death, there's resurrection, there are second chances, even for the rebellious among us. And we too can be included in the work of God, even if we've chosen to run the other way. You could fight about the big fish. Or you can have the revelation that's there in the scriptures for you, and Jesus gave it to us and I think again he was just he was helping us bosom of Abraham's in uh Luke chapter sixteen love it besides the fact that it's this old Negro spiritual that I always you know giggle at whenever we you know sing it, but you know you know there's an amazing line in that particular story where Jesus said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to me. Would you like to be able to hear the voice of Jesus Christ more clearly in your life? Jesus said, if they don't attend to Moses and the prophets, they won't hear my message. It's things that Jesus say, like, way out there, you can't accept them. Go back to Moses, go back to the prophets. It actually could prepare you to hear the voice of Jesus. And then the last one, this, this uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem where Jesus rides on a donkey. You know, there are times where Jesus just rigged the game because he wanted to make a statement. He knew the Old Testament prophecy about your Messiah will come to you humble riding on a colt. And so what did he do? He told his guys, go get a colt. You know, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, but you know, he ain't no dummy. He said, Go get me a cult. We gotta do it. Yeah, that's, that's, we've got to do it. Which, by the way, is the same reason he gave to John the Baptist about baptizing. Let's do it. Let's fulfill all righteousness. Just in a complete aside, switching out of Gospels, Matthew or Gospels, Matthew. Out of Luke's gospel, you know, in in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Not a single stroke, not the slightest dot on the eye will pass away. I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That's another message for another time. But Jesus respected all of the word of God. All right? Okay, so Luke's gospel here is absolutely replete with references to the Bible that Jesus read. Let's look now in chapter 24, and Raymond, we will be switching slides here. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, at the end of Luke's gospel. So we started in Luke 2 where you've got the boy Jesus driven by his passion for the scriptures. And now you've got Luke 24. You've got the resurrected Jesus. And uh, this is a little bit long, but I I really want to engage it if you'll let me. Do I have your permission? The bears are going to win, don't worry. Now, that same day, two of them, this is after Jesus is resurrected. We're going to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him because Jesus is sneaky. And he asked them, baiting them, what were you guys discussing? together as you walked along. And I love this little detail. They stood still. They literally stopped in their tracks. Like, who are you from Mars? Their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happen there these days? Jesus baiting them even more goes, huh? What things? It all happened to him. And he's going, About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Notice what they emphasized before God and all the people. And the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. What's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, this is amazing, but some women said they went to the tomb early this morning, didn't find his body, but it was a woman, we don't believe her testimony. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Notice, by the way, what all these guys emphasized. all these guys, two of them, what they emphasized. They emphasized their personal experience of the last few days. They emphasized their hopes and dreams and expectations for the Messiah. And in this sense, they are no different than Ray in kindergarten through second grade. It has no relation at all to the scriptures, even though they've actually just described what the scriptures have predicted. They've got their hopes, their dreams, their personal experience, and they are clueless, they are downcast. So, if you have hopes, if you have dreams, and you're clueless and you're downcast, you could fit right here. And then, the story continues. He said to them, This is gentle Jesus, right? Sweet and gentle Jesus. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Gee whiz. He not only responds to the devil with Scripture, he responds to clueless, downcast disciples was scripture. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Stop right there. Jesus' response to people who were fixated on their experiences, who were disillusioned with their hopes, was to call them foolish and slow to believe and to then to patiently explain the scriptures to them again. Do you see this? The same Jesus who is driven as a 12-year-old at the beginning of Luke's gospel, if you want to draw this arc over all of Luke's gospel, who's lived his life both expressing the scriptures, interpreting the scriptures, imagining the scriptures, expounding the scriptures, he could have just said, look, it's me, super Jesus, you know, Shekinah Glow, here he comes. Could have said, ta-da, but he... He's going to freak them out in just a minute, isn't he? But before he freaks them out, where did he take them? To Moses and the prophets. And he called them, by the way, foolish and slow to believe. Jesus would never insult you, would he? Look, he would not insult you. He would try to lead you to the source of life. And if you take offense, whose problem is it? Jesus called them foolish, and I don't have any kind of franchise on what were the Lord of glory's intent, those words, but I wrote down foolish could be failure to take advantage of what was right in front of you. One definition of foolish is failure to take advantage of what's right in front of you. Life doesn't make sense, you're disillusioned, things aren't working out, you're really bummed, you might be foolish if you're failing to take advantage of what is right in front of you. In part, it could be the holy scriptures of God. And slow to believe all that the prophets have said. Slow to believe. You see, there's a connection between the scriptures and faith. Are you the kind of person who goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Faith doesn't come easily for me. As if some people are just lucky and they believe anything. Well, I was in sales for 20 years. I loved to meet people who would believe anything. (laughs) But that's not faith. That's just an easy mark. Do you understand that? He said, and slow to believe. You see, Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. It's actually a two-step process. Faith doesn't come just by hearing lots and lots of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, the Word of God puts you in position to hear. doesn't guarantee it. It's not a formula, you see. The Scriptures are a road to faith. If you struggle with faith, live a life in the Scriptures. Live a life in the Scriptures. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, and I love this, because we're learning something about how Jesus appropriated the Scriptures. Did he say, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and memorize it? And I'm, I'm okay with memorization. No, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he paints this big picture. It is amazing to me how many of us really don't have an idea that God starts telling a story in Genesis 1.1, and that story is told all the way until you get to Ezra and Nehemiah. It's one story. Then the poets take over, with the Psalms and the, Pro, uh, and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and the poets give us this, uh, this uh, emotional artistic response to the story that's been told. And then it's like when you've got a DVD and you're, you're looking for the special features and it says director's commentary or screenwriter's commentary, you get to the prophets and they give you Yahweh's commentary on the story that he's already told. Moses and the prophets... Jesus was a big picture guy when it came to the scriptures. You know, this idea of proof texting and, you know, if A and then B, then, you know, C must happen. Jesus was a Moses to the prophets kind of guy. Big pictures. And then, okay, next slide, please. I'm skipping a few verses here in Luke. He freaks them out, you know, he disappears. They run all the way, which is back uphill, by the way. Uh, and while uh, uh, they're with their friends, then Jesus appears again. And when Jesus had appeared to him and said, don't freak out, peace I give to you, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, it's so random. You got anything to eat? It, it's, the, it's the resurrected Lord Jesus showing off his hands and feet, and he goes, anybody got any fish? Doesn't that strike you as a little bit odd? And he gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. Uh, it's another message as to why he did all that. And he said to them, this is what... Oh, no, no, it couldn't be, could it? From Luke 2 to Luke 24. This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled. You see, it wasn't just the two guys on the way to Emmaus. Jesus emphasizes it again everything that has to be fulfilled written about me in the instruction of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their mind so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them again, this is what is written, what is written. Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day for repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning of truth, and boy, am I glad it made it to me. You're witnesses of these things. Just take a moment, though, and notice the connection. He says, you guys are witnesses of these things, but I'm still pointing you to the scriptures. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, that's the Holy, Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. At the beginning of this text that we're looking at right there, it uses words like wonder and amazement and personal experience of the resurrected Lord Jesus. I'm all for personal experience. I'm for wonder. I'm for amazement. But Jesus felt that it was important in the middle of wonder and amazement and personal experience to bring us back to the Scriptures. Still, Jesus points them to the Scriptures. And so I'm going to conclude with three real quick suggestions and then we're going to do a little exercise in imagination and we'll be done. Here are my three easy points in a recipe for coming to the scripture. You ready? Three little points. First, never come to the Bible alone. Always invite the same spirit who inspired the book to inspire your encounter with the book. See, Jesus told us the Holy Spirit is the one capable of teaching us all things. In fact, the scriptures will shed a lot of light on the commentaries. Bada bing. These are the jokes. The rest of you will get it later when you hear it on the audio archive. Never come to the Bible alone. Number two, never settle for head knowledge apart from personal experience. See, our first ideas about following Jesus might come from reading the Bible. That was my experience. But I believe we should ask the Holy Spirit to, to integrate the book and real life experience. What starts as head knowledge needs to find its way into our experience, and vice versa. What we experience needs to also become head knowledge. And number three, never come to the Bible without a commitment to obey his voice. Never come to the Bible without a commitment to obey his voice. You're not going to be perfect in it, but settle it before you crack open the leather binding. I'm preaching about the Bible. I should shake it at least once, shouldn't I? (laughs) Never come to... (laughs) Never crack open the, the leather binding without a commitment to obey his voice. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us this, right? If we train ourselves to be the kind of people who only hear the word but never do the word, we're setting ourselves up for deception. So the third thing is never come to the Bible without a commitment to obey his voice. You see, a lifestyle of merely hearing God's word without doing it, we will become deceived. God doesn't speak FYI. He speaks FYO, for your obedience. That's why he speaks, right? Okay, now I'd like the ministry team guys to come on up, but while they're coming up, Would you do just real quick exercise with me in imagination? You don't have to stand up. You can just be seated, but just get comfortable. These two guys that were on the road to Emmaus, they suffered disappointment like big time during three particular days. They had bet the farm that this Jewish rabbi from Nazareth they had bet the farm that he was the man and they were severely disillusioned and downcast as the scripture says. And we're separated from that event but we're not separated from disillusionment or disappointment, are we? What have you bet the farm on what has not come to pass? What have you bet the farm on that you know, hasn't been what you've wanted it to be? What have you bet the farm on Okay, I want you to imagine that you're driving along because we don't all have to wear sandals and togas or they didn't wear togas, whatever it was. But you're driving along and you pick up this hitchhiker and you start to just find yourself just spilling your guts. You know, I wanted my, wanted my kid to follow the Lord. I, I, wanted, I didn't want to have cancer. I, you know, fill in the blank. And you're spilling your guts to Jesus, except you don't know it's him. All right, so let's just take a minute and do that. Put yourself there. Do it with me. It's your car. You thought you were just being nice to a stranger. And you find yourself sharing your disappointment. surprisingly this stranger says to you you've just been foolish and you've been slow to believe let me explain it to you wherever you're headed you're driving and your heart if it's okay for Jesus to imagine a guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he ends up telling a story it's okay for you to imagine Jesus coming alongside of you and right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you and he's talking to you about your foolishness not because he wants to insult you but because we failed to take advantage of what's in front of us and he's showing you the path for faith whatever it is that he tells you whatever it is he tells you just remember it because it can be your meditation for the coming week now Lord Jesus would you confirm would you confirm your word to our hearts help us to remember the moment and to walk with you during the week amen we're going to let our ministry team just share whatever the Lord has said.